That's it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to do it again? Record no. it again? Hello, everyone. I'm uh, Peter Lloyd. Hi, everyone. I am Mika van der Baal. And this is our first podcast for this year's DTM course, the first of a series of podcasts looking at different aspects of uh, design theory and methodology. This first podcast is about reflective practice, which is one of the ways that we're framing the course. Yeah, so when we think about theory and methodology, uh, we often tend to think about specific uh, methods that designers are using. Uh, but the way that we think about this subject is more broadly about how are designers actually designing. And the theory of reflective practice is a really useful theory to look at how designers are designing. And it's been used by a lot of both practitioners and researchers in the field of, of, of design. Yeah, it stays very close to the way that designers think about the way that they work, I think, which is what makes it a useful sort of frame for the course in terms of theory. Uh, there are quite a few aspects to reflective practice, uh, too many to explore in this podcast. If you look at the show notes, there's further references to follow up that you'll, you'll, you'll hear about. Um, but we're going to start with an interview with someone called Kees Dorst. Kees Dorst is a, is a professor who works at the University of Technology in Sydney. Um, he's one of the um, key figures in the design research field when it comes to understanding how designers are designing. And he has also used the theory of reflective practice in his work. In the 90s, he did quite a famous study on how expert designers um, are actually designing, how they are thinking and how they are working. So Case is a, an important person in the subject um, area. He's done a lot of really good work, I think, especially in the area of design thinking. So Case is a big person to talk to, I think. And he's also someone that has a history of, of being at Delft. So I'm really looking forward to what he has to say. Before we begin the interview, we should say that it's also in two parts. The first part is about reflective practice, uh, which we'll have an interview and then we'll have a discussion uh, afterwards, Mika and I. The second part is about something called co-evolution, which is a bit more about the process of design, but that's in the second podcast, so we'll talk about that then. Okay, over to... Uh... Sydney! <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. So, we are in Sydney this morning at the University of Technology, Sydney. Which is where I used to work before I uh, moved back to the Netherlands and started my job in Delft. Uh, and I'm here this morning with Professor Kees Dorst. Well, first of all, welcome, Kees. <laughs> thank you. Uh, great to see you again. And uh, thank you for making time for us. Maybe, first of all, you can, can you say something about what you do here at, uh, at UTS before we start talking about the design theory? Okay, so, um, well, just to introduce myself, so my name is Kees Dorst. I studied industrial design engineering in Delft a very long time ago, but I also studied philosophy in Rotterdam. And I've um, been fascinated in sort of doing design work, but sort of after having started my design firm, I sort of realized that I kept thinking about it too much. So I also started doing research into how does design actually work. And... Um, through sort of many different things, um, I came to be interested in how expert designers think and how they solve their problems and what their strategies are and what their methods are. 
and uh, particularly interested in looking at how they create new approaches to problems, new frames. Actually using design and design thinking uh, across many different fields and looking at design slightly differently by um, using design processes as hosts for practices from many other disciplines to come together. So that's what I do. Okay. So um, we're going to talk a little bit about that application of design outside the tra traditional design field later. Mm -hmm. um, but I first want to go back a little bit because um, we're talking about um, how, how designers design basically in this course. And one of the theories we're going to use is the theory of reflective practice uh, developed by Donald Schoen. Um, and I know you have used that theory uh, quite a bit uh, in your work, so uh, could you explain what that uh, theory means? Um, yeah, so happy to do that. So I've sort of met Donald Schoen and worked with him a little bit early on in my career when I was still doing my PhD. And um, Donald Schoen, his background is in philosophy. He then became a consultant and then he became a professor at MIT in Boston um, in the urban planning department. So he's got this philosophy and design background and um, he was really fascinated on sort of how do people think about problems, how do people think about issues and he realized that um, a lot of the education at MIT was very much a classic engineering education. So lots and lots and lots of knowledge. And then people would graduate and get into practice and actually have to learn the job more or less from the start up because mm -hmm. they hadn't learned how an engineer thinks. They just learned to make the sums. Mm -hmm. So he was sort of at MIT quite sort of a controversial figure because he said this is actually it should be about professional practice. But then we should learn what a professional practice is and uh, what do practitioners actually do. So he studied many different fields. If you look at the book, The Reflective Practitioner, there's doctors in there, there's engineers in there, there's architects in there, etc. So he was looking not particularly at design, although he was close to design fields, but at how does, ref how does professional practice actually works. And he sort of looking at that thinking pattern from his philosophical perspective he said well practitioners actually do several things one of the things they do is what he calls reflection in action which means that when you are doing something and you're a skilled person you're very quick quick in adapting what you do to the situation almost without knowing it so on a very moment by moment basis you're uh, doing the right thing that's what he calls reflection in action, which is almost, it's very intuitive, it's based on experience. And then he said, what another thing that practitioners do is, these professionals do, is reflection on action, which is more explicit. So you're working on something and at some point you're wondering, am I going in the right direction? What do I need to do to change? Is this going to be fruitful or am I ending, it, ending up in a dead end if I pr pursue in this direction? So that's what he called reflection on action. And there's basically, if you read his books, there's sort of, it's a little bit of a process of four steps. That's sort of what, according to Schoen, first thing that a practitioner does is he names the important elements in a situation. 
So what is actually the matter here? What is what are the key things that I should worry about that I should, that I should take into account? And then they frame the situation, which means that um, they look for an approach into the area to sort of move forward. Then they move, so they do those moves. So in design work, that is, they do design. Um, and then they reflect on those moves and say, is this going in the right direction? Uh, so do I need to sort of look at different frames because this frame isn't getting me anywhere? Am I looking at all the important things or do I need to go back and name other things in the situation and prioritize them as important? Um, or have I just made a wrong move and do I need to look back and sort of uh, revisit that move? So um, that's how you steer through a process like that. So um, what he actually more or less models design as is as a learning process because you go through many of these learning loops and you more or less learn your way towards a solution. So that's the core of his theory. Mm -hmm. So when you when you talk about reflection in action and these learning loops, mm -hmm. you mention the four steps, name, frame, move, reflect. That all still sounds quite um, abstract. Um, could you give an example of that? Um, well, sort of, he names a couple of examples in his book, but let's say um, we've done a project here in the Designing Art Crime Center, which was about an entertainment area, King's Cross. Mm -hmm. And um, the problem there were people named that problem originally as this is about alcohol related violence. Mm -hmm. So people go out, people get drunk, there's violence in the evening, that's all sort of hanging together. And that's a very particular frame already, because mm -hmm. if you say that something is alcohol related violence, then you link the violence to the alcohol. Mm -hmm. And then if you want to reduce the violence, you do that by reducing the alcohol. Mm -hmm. um, in the end, uh, with the Designing Art Crime Research Center, we went to King's Cross. And one of the first things we realized was that uh, the reason that all those measures didn't really help, didn't really work, was that um, the violence that we saw in King's Cross actually was not alcohol related. Mm -hmm. So that's where having a wrong frame for a situation or a frame that is not fruitful mm -hmm. actually sends you in completely the wrong direction. Mm -hmm. um, so that's where um, we started out by saying, okay, what other frames could be used mm -hmm. to actually understand this situation better or in a different way? Um, so that's, that's sort of what's the start of our project there. So I think what I like about what Donald Schoen does is that he highlights that you're always in a frame, you're mm -hmm. always approaching something in a certain way, and just being conscious of that, I'm doing this because I'm thinking about it in this way, already helps to question that. Mm -hmm. And I think um, looking at what expert designers do, so my research has been sort of traveling around the world, visiting expert designers and studying what they do, they spend an awful lot of time, maybe 70, 80% of their project on looking at the problem because they know that once they have an interesting and original entry point into the problem, that once they've got a new frame, the solutions follow very quickly and they're all really good because mm -hmm. they are actually based in new thinking. Mm -hmm. um, so I think framing is a really important aspect uh, of design and it's uh, good that Donald Schoen has managed to highlight that. 
so this this uh, this is a really great example of uh, how f a new frame was used uh, in this context of um, the entertainment district mm -hmm. and the crime problems there. Now I'm not sure how many product designers would work on these kind of uh, uh, challenges. Are there also examples from uh, product design when it comes to framing and how that works uh, there? Um, well, the funny thing is, as I said, you're always in a frame. Yeah. So, um, and a lot of the originality in product design doesn't come from a creative person brainstorming wonderful solution. Mm -hmm. It comes from new approaches to problems. Mm -hmm. So you could almost say that almost every good design is an example of reframing in that mm -hmm. sense, mm -hmm. or there's an element of reframing in mm -hmm. it, which is also why uh, if you look at design competitions, um, the people that win design competitions are always people that have taken the original brief a little bit for a walk mm -hmm. and done something slightly different, mm -hmm. but, but clever. Uh, and they always get told off by the people that didn't win because they didn't hold to the brief yet, mm -hmm. because the competition was actually about creating new approaches into mm -hmm. problems. Mm -hmm. um, because that's what designers can bring. And yeah. that's what designers bring time and time again. Yeah. So the framing is really part of that reflection in action part or do you also use it in the what he calls the reflection on action you also use it in reflection on action because in reflection on action when you realize that you're going somewhere where there's not many solutions um having to reframe is one of the key things that often yeah. happens yeah so um but it's um let's say that shown's theory um when it first was sort of published 1983 those kind of in those days it became very popular with designers very quickly because people sort of recognized something in this description of design that they hadn't seen in the earlier phase models and more rational processes okay um, it also fizzled out a little bit after a couple of years because yes people realized this and recognized this yeah this is actually how i think this mm -hmm. is somebody understands me, which is really important. But then saying that everything happens in these learning loops is not very practical because it makes it very hard to plan. Mm -hmm. And uh, Schoen has also been uh, quite abstract in how he describes how people get to frames. Mm -hmm. He says that frames are based on experience, which could be true but it's not very helpful because then to make a good frame you just need a hell of a lot of experience probably and if you say that frames are an original then they can't be solely based on experience mm -hmm. so um, on the one hand his theory really hit the design field as yes finally as somebody understands what we actually do because we don't recognize ourselves so much in these linear design model processes uh, on the other hand um, now that we do that do sort of see that recognition and see that understanding what do we do with it mm -hmm. so when you say these linear uh, design models those were the models that existed before this theory came out yeah those were models um, so um, they basically came from practice from people that had to sort of plan out design projects yeah. and actually show to their clients or show to their bosses that what they were doing was not just a mess Mm -hmm. but was a number of activities one after the other. So these, those became phase models of design. And then uh, Herbert Simon came up with 
um, coming from an AI standpoint. They wanted to program design into computers. Mm-hmm. This is late 1960s, so not very sophisticated computers, mm-hmm. but that means that you have to do a lot of thinking to do it well. And he sort of rationalized that as a rational problem-solving process. So design was modeled as this rational problem-solving process. And then Schoen said, well, you're missing the point about practices when you do that. So you can, you can also look at design in this other way. So it was a very fruitful time because you had several competing theories and people had to think about it, decide or use one and then use the other. Um, so that, that was sort of design research at that time was sort of based on these two paradigms. Mm-hmm. And I know you studied those uh, in, your, in your PhD, which I think is quite interesting. Can you, can you explain a little bit what you did in your PhD and how you studied it? The story behind my PhD is that I was running my own design firm um, and I had this young designer that I had hired and he was in a conceptual phase trying to get a, a project done and I realized that he was just messing about basically he wasn't getting anywhere and I also realized that when I wanted to sort of guide him a little bit and help him and sort of um, that the only thing that I could do was basically say I would do it differently and that I found that very unsatisfying that don't we know this mm-hmm. so I went back to my professor in Delft and I said I want to know everything about how integration happens in product design and then they said well we don't know either so um, that's called research mm-hmm. and uh, you can get a room and these probably the books that you need and figure it out so I started doing my research into how does integration happen in product design. How is it possible that product designers, when you've got a very messy problem area with lots of stakeholders and technology is there, ergonomics is there, it's, it's, it's all these different things, that product designers manage to make a fairly simple product in the end that actually encapsulates all of those things mm-hmm. and creates great value. Mm-hmm. So how do you come from all that complexity to a certain simplicity? So that's integration. So I was really interested in that. And um, so that's, um, I started studying integration and by basically giving designers an exercise to do, a design brief and taping them and seeing what they were doing. It's called protocol analysis. And um, I saw them wrestling with integration. I saw them reaching integration. So I was completely fascinated as a practitioner. But then I used the rational problem-solving way of looking at design to try and trace this, pinpoint where does it happen. And I couldn't. And I thought, okay, that means that, I mean, these designers are obviously right. They're in practice, they're doing it. But apparently our way of looking at it is limited in a way that I didn't realize. And in that time, Delft as an education was really my rational problem solving mm-hmm. was basically what you learned uh, at this is design and I thought well there must be other ways so that's when I met Donald Schoen and became fascinated in also using that other way of looking at design so in the end my PhD turned around and became the comparison between those two paradigms with still integration as as the um, the point of comparison. So I was still looking at integration from those two perspectives. 
but it became much more about the paradigms themselves than about integration in mm -hmm. the end. Mm -hmm. So you compared Herbert Simon's paradigm to Donald Schilling's paradigm yeah, yeah. and then yeah. looked how that played out. Yeah. And what was your conclusion from that study? Well, of course, they're both valid in their own way yeah. and they're both valid for different uses. Um, also that you shouldn't confuse them. Just putting them together in one thing makes it for a very messy thing. But it led, for instance, to, um, so let's say, as, as I said, one of the problems with the Schoen paradigm, reflective practice, is that it's all learning loops yeah. and you can't plan anymore. In the end, uh, I worked with a firm in Boston called Product Genesis. And for them, we made a hybrid planning model mm -hmm. where sort of if you're a design firm, you've done projects in a certain area for a number of years. And so you actually know that there's areas within your design project that are quite linear. You're not going to learn there. You're just going to do what you're good at. So we, in that hybrid planning model, those are planned linearly. And then there's these areas where you know that there's newness because you don't have the experience or we just don't know yet. Um, and that's where we planned in learning loops. So we try to actually accommodate also the learning because the problem with design plannings on the whole is that if they're too linear, all the learning is the really fascinating stuff. That's where things really develop. That's where originality happens. Um, but if you don't plan that in and you plan design just as a kind of best case scenario of activities from a problem to a solution, mm -hmm. you're going to do all that learning in the evenings and in the weekends and under the shower, etc., instead of being planned as part of the work that you do. And it's actually the part of the work where you have the most added value. So you should protect that and not just do that over the weekends, etc. I've always surprised, so I, one of my design firms was in Eindhoven. Um, and you could sort of see the lights on in all these design firms in Eindhoven very late in the evening. And also when we needed information, we just used to call each other all the time to, until late in the evening because you knew that everybody was working late always. And that's because basically everybody was had sold the project on linear planning. But that's not how it works. Yeah. So you've been unrealistic yeah. and you then have to pick up that slack yeah. by working in the evenings and over the weekends, yeah. etc. Would you say that's the mo one of the more practical uses of this theory that you can actually better plan your design process and also explain to others what you're going to do in those learning loops? Yeah, I, th I think that's really, really important. And it's a, and, the, and the, the second weakness of the Schoen theory, at least that I saw, was that he never told you where frames were coming from. Mm. So that's when I started studying expert designers. How do they get to frames? So that became a frame creation methodology. Yeah. So, okay, I really believe that what Sean has done is, is very important, but there's a couple of big gaps in there yeah. um, that make it impractical. Yeah. And so let's try and make that more practical. Yeah. So f the way you explain it now, frame is really key to uh, coming up with new solutions as well. Yeah, yeah. And um, what, what I sort of find, one of the things that I found sort of doing this, uh, working with these expert designers studying what they do is one of the things I found is that they never brainstorm mm. because um, brainstorming is going random on the solutions, mm -hmm. trying much 
sort of lots and lots and lots of different solutions um, which is fun to do and it's very good and it's a nice team activity but then the next step of course is clustering those and selecting which solutions you go on with well if your view of the problem hasn't changed you're going to use the old view of the problem as that kind of filter mm -hmm. so you're probably throwing out lots of possibly interesting things because you're not you haven't thought about the problem in any new way and what i found with these expert designers is that they um so they take a long time they spend a lot of energy and a lot of time on trying to create new frames and then once you have a new frame every solution that comes out is interesting yeah so they've got no need to go completely random on solutions because they're quite focused and deliberate about okay if this is the new frame what does that lead to yeah. ideas wise yeah so you're saying these expert designers are really good at framing so now if you're a, a, a master student studying industrial design engineering how can you can also become really good at at framing uh, a lot of it is being aware that you're framing that you're always framing and starting to question that. So there's a lot of reflection that has to go mm -hmm. on. Mm -hmm. And you can do that alone or you can question each other. Yeah. And just ask why. And it's um, and that I mean that's more or less the key thing because the moment you start asking why and you go back to oh this is the reason we do this, you can immediately also see other possibilities coming from that. I mean framing is something that people naturally do. And of course, in your normal life, you also reframe. Yeah. Um, so it's not new in that sense. It's just that it's really important in design. And um, it's really important in design to recognize that that is happening because it's also happened before you know it. Yeah. The moment you use words like for King's Cross, alcohol related violence, you've locked yourself in completely. There's only one type of solution possible. And people just use that to talk about it as, as, as if that is the problem. Yeah. Um, so be very aware of those frames and um, see whether you can um, shift them. But that requires real sort of a moment of stepping back and think, okay, why am I saying this in this way? Or if you're talking to a client or to a supervisor, why is that person talking in this way? What is the view that they have behind this? What is their, um, what Donald Chen would call the underlying background theory that they use to describe this? Um, because that's often, if you can break that one, mm -hmm. if you could break into it, you can find other types of solutions that people that are within that theory just can't think of. <laughs> So we've just been listening to uh, the interview I did last week uh, with Case. Um, and of course, um, I've been thinking about it and Peter also has listened. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting. I thought he covered some some really interesting stuff from a design point of view. And yeah. I, I think one of the things that he, he talks about Donald Schoen a bit, but one of the reasons I like Donald Schoen, and I think Case likes uh, Donald Schoen too, is that he he has these little phrases that really sum up um, what it's like like to design. So one of his his famous phrases is the problem of the problem. Okay. Uh, so it's not just about the problem that you're trying to solve. Yes. There's an underlying problem that you're trying to get to. So that's yeah. that's one of his phrases. And the other one that I like is um, he, he he quotes Plato actually, which is, "How do you know that what you've found is the thing you didn't know?" And it's 
that that really gets across the idea that you're 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 exploring something in designing. You're trying to learn new things in order to know that what you find in the end is the is the right thing. Yeah, so there's yeah. this whole learning process that goes yes. on. But there are various different types of knowledge, I think, in the design process. So there's this, you know, he case mentions engineers get get knowledge yeah he i think he means sort of fact kind of knowledge yes whereas he's other kind of process sort of knowledge and the yeah. knowledge about you, you know yeah. what you gain from experience yes. and, and and that's what's what what donald shown encapsulates in his in his book the famous book the reflective yes. practitioner but other other work too yeah yeah that's also what i remember from first um reading the reflection reflective uh, practitioner it's one of the things that i really like that i think uh Schoen describes in the first chapter is that we have a certain idea of how we are looking at what knowledge is. Um, and the kind of um, technical way of looking at knowledge excludes a lot of knowledge that happens within a design process. So um, uh, Donald Schoen, he's explaining that the kind of old view of knowledge uh, and practice is, regardless of the profession that you're in, is that you, you go to university, you learn all this knowledge and theory, and then once you go into practice, all you have to do is just apply that theory that you have learned and you will be fine. Yeah. So, for example, a doctors, when they go to university, they have to learn about uh, diseases and illnesses and medication and treatment and those kind of stuff, things. And then, you know, all the evidence that's out there. And then once they go into uh, medical practice, they know how to do that. There's a whole practice of 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 just doing the subject or, you know, doing yeah. it professionally, I think. Exactly. Yeah. And th that actually doing it professionally is something that we don't traditionally regard as knowledge or knowing. Uh, and the theory of reflective practice basically explains that there is a lot of, um, I think Schoen calls that knowing in the doing mm -hmm. um, or theory in action, is I think also a phrase that he uses. Uh, which I think is very, very useful because it's in that learning process uh, that you get to an answer. So very often a doctor, when there's a patient in front of them, they can't just say, oh, um, you know, the diagnosis is this because I can find that in, in this book uh, and therefore the answer is that. Now, very often a, a doctor also has to uh, experiment and, and work out what's really yeah. going on. I think I think that's the basic the basic process that Case described, the naming, framing, moving and evaluating. He concentrated a lot on framing and how important frames yes. are. And that's that's true. That is. Uh, yeah. But I think that that's that process is one of experimentation. Yes. It's sort of, you know, you're trying to understand something in a certain way and you're trying to see if your understanding makes sense by experimenting. So that's the kind of moving aspect of it. Yes. And uh, Sean talks a lot about surprise. You know, when you try something out in designing, and it doesn't quite go like you think it's going to go. Yeah. So you, there's an element of surprise, but that surprise generates learning. That's right. And that's what, you know, the learning process in design, yes. I think, is one of the most yeah. important things that Sean yeah. really articulates yeah. well. And, and Case talks about that, you know, there's an aspect of design where you learn your way to a solution, he talks about. And I think yeah. that's, a, that's a nice phrase. It's sort of yeah. you, you start from a, yeah. a, a point. And you don't quite know where you're going to end up, but you yeah. know you're going to learn more at the end of the process yeah. than you did at the beginning. Yeah. And that's, that's that's an interesting thing to think about, I think. Yes. Um, uh, and I was also thinking about this whole idea of rational problem solving. Um, so Case was mentioning that at the time that he did his PhD, a lot of the design education was um, uh, addressed around this idea of rational problem solving, which was when I was a student. 
And to make that explicit, what it looked like was, um, uh, for example, if I was going to design a water bottle, I have a water bottle here in front of me. Um, I was asked to... um, Explore the Break problem down space. The problem. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you know what are what are other water bottles that are on the market? How much water do people want to drink? Uh, how do they want to clean it? And then you translate all that learning into a list of requirements. Yeah. Uh, then you do a divergent phase where you come up with different solutions through a brainstorm, and then you select the best solution based on your requirements. Um, and then you go on developing that solution through a more detailed process. So that's what we call the linear process. You go, you first go to your problem, mm-hmm. list of requirements, mm-hmm. solution. Mm-hmm. I actually think uh, a lot of that is still in the educational program. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I graduated, that was still the, the way I was thinking about design. At the same time, you kind of, as a di- designer, you always feel like, but there's something more, right? Um, and I like what Case is saying, like all this thinking that, uh, you know, happens uh, in the, at, at night and under the shower. I, I mean, I think that's really important to emphasize, yeah. actually, because uh, I think he really captured that idea that, you know, it, that it's all very well that design is about learning. And, yeah. you know, you have these uh, little insights in the process, but you also have to plan. So yeah, you yeah. have to plan, you know, you're dealing yeah. with a client, you're working, yeah. working in yes. a team of people. They need to know what the plan is and fitting those two things together the planning side of design which is the sort of more rational you know time planning process planning sort of thing and then the learning which is the bit more you know you it happens in the shower happens in the bath somewhere (laughs) somewhere where you're not expecting it or just as you're about to go out the house yeah yeah um that trying to trying to plan that into the process yes uh is is you know kind of very very difficult I think yeah. you know yeah yeah I mean I've experienced that myself I also had a design studio in uh, in Sydney alongside my job in the university and you know just trying to sell design that is always difficult because you can never really fully plan the design process uh, but if I were going to design a water, a water bottle <laughs> I would say you know if I would do that through a, 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 pro, um, a process of reflective practice um, I would not start with the idea of a water bottle because if you if you ask for the design of the water bottle, what you will end up with is something that looks like a bottle with water in it. Uh, but if you think about the problem behind the problem, mm-hmm. um, you could say, well, this is something. It's it's people are looking for something that uh, can get them to uh, drink water wherever they are. Um, then you already start to think more broadly yeah. about uh, about this idea, and then it could also be, you know, one of those uh, water bubblers where you can just go in and get some water, or it could be uh, a, a back or a service yeah, yeah, or yeah. Um, a backpack yeah. with water. No, I, th- I thought that was interesting when Case was talking about framing. Yeah, one of the and one of the things that Donald Schoen mentions is this idea of seeing as yes. sort of seeing one thing as another thing. Yeah. you know, as a way to understand a problem slightly differently, yeah. as to get get underneath the problem. And we'll actually come on to that in another podcast. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. we're going to be talking that, about yeah. that more specifically. Yeah, yeah. I, I also th- one one of the other things was that uh, Case mentioned experience and expertise. He, he he mentioned the idea that you know coming up with a good frame is based on experience, but how do you get experience? It's yeah. that experience sort of yes. paradox. Yeah, it's interesting because Case is saying well, uh, one of the downside of Schoen's our shortcoming, so to say, in Schoen's theory is that he doesn't really say how you get to a good yeah, frame. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, and then Case has written this book, uh, Frame Innovation, uh, in which he describes the frame creation method that he also um, uh, mentioned in the interview, um, in which he basically describes a method, a step-by-step -step method that he say he says people can use to come to better frames. And it's so been... That, so that's where you can start from, basically. I think the, the idea of expertise is that... The, the more experience you get, the better the the more frames that you can think of, or the better, the more creative you are. The way or you can view problems in a different way and things. Yeah, it's definitely um, something you can practice. Um, so I've worked with this frame creation method quite a bit, and as a designer, I find it very, very useful because it just helps me um, to explain where I am in the design process. Um, it doesn't help people who are not designers to actually come up with good frames. So. Um, uh, even though, you know, it's, it's got like nine steps in there um, and it's been sold to people as being something that can help you to good frames. But my experience is really is that you still need uh, the ex experience to actually use it in a... Or to work a... with experienced people too, I think. You know, yes. that, uh, I think in, in the Reflective Practitioner, Donald Sean's book, he, he, he analyzes conversations between students and yes. tutors yeah. to see what what's the what's the tutor actually saying to someone yeah. and and yeah. and how are they understanding that thing so. well that's a particularly interesting thing because um uh, for the students who are listening if you have time and are interested that's an interesting chapter in Sharon's book because it's a, a a chapter which describes a discussion between an architect and a student architect um and for me it's actually very difficult to understand what's going on. And I think it's because I am not an architect and I don't understand the language of, uh, of architects. And it really therefore shows the expertise of the architect. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think uh, one of the things that he sort of says is that tutors are very good at getting you to ask your own questions. Yes. So it's not necessarily you're not trying to solve a problem for someone. Yeah. It's basically, well... You ask me what question you want, yeah. and then you yeah. and then you go away and find the answer too. Yeah. So I think yeah. it, it's sort of, um, I think a lot of reflective practice is about awareness. It's about awareness of the different ways that you think, uh, and awareness of when things don't go quite how you think yeah. they're going to go. You know yeah. how you respond to that. Yeah. Um, and I think case um, case reference some of that. Yeah. Um, but I think I think a lot of the things that we've that case touches on in this podcast and that we've also talked a, a little bit about will will carry on in other in other podcasts too. I think they're themes that will reoccur. And I think the reason that we chose reflective practice to start off was that it covers it it covers a lot of the concepts that we want to talk about in the course, but in more detail. So yeah. we haven't touched on things like imp improvisation and repertoire and process and. Uh, dialogue and all these things are in yeah. reflective practice, but we'll come on to those in future podcasts in more detail. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, Mika. I thought that was a really yeah, great thanks, interview Peter. and yeah. uh, lots of insight. And um, I look forward to hearing more from Case in the second part of the uh, the interview. <laughs>